When I was very little, my dad and I had, my dad and I played a table game together. And I remember he left for whatever reason. I don't recall why. But I happened to change the pieces around so that I would win. He came back and he taught me that winning was good. But you got to play by the rules. Another thing that has stuck with me is I want to be on the winning team. <laughs> I guess that's why I tried to cheat to begin with. Because I don't like to lose, at least in the things that truly matter. And in Christianity and things dealing with salvation, being on the right side truly matters. And being with Christ means you will win. Today's lesson is Joshua. God wins. Three points are wily, war, and win. The first point is wily. What is overconfidence? I think overconfidence is when you win and you win and you win again. Doing that, it's easy to become overconfident because you just think, I can't lose. In turn, overconfidence can be a great foundation for future loss, especially when you end up playing another good team. Wild E. Coyote, you guys probably recall that cartoon, also referred to as, self-referred to, as super genius, is such a character who epitomizes the idea of overconfidence. Since he was much smarter than the roadrunner, it should be easy for him to catch that roadrunner. But that roadrunner that road runner, runner was fast, and he had luck on his side. Now, here is what overconfidence did to Israel. It led them to being deceived. And that deception brought shame to the nation. As Joshua Chapter 9 brings out, verses 14 and 15. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them and let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Let's talk about the Gibeonites who pretended to be someone they were not. It is not hard to be deceived. It's not hard to be misled or even be betrayed. There are people in this world who are very, very good at this. In fact, it was President Reagan who came up and coined the term trust and verify. Trust that a person is genuine and that their story is real, but hey, do due diligence to verify and checked various sources. You see, there are people who would like to take advantage of God's goodness. Even today, we are a people who like to help others in need. I mean, growing up in Christ and His ways, you kind of understand that. It becomes part of us as a community. And most importantly, we want to bring them to salvation. And it is hurtful when we get taken advantage of as a congregation. With that in mind, we might understand Israel when they were deceived by the Gibeonites. It sure isn't easy to just look at somebody and say, 
their story is right or their story is wrong. It's just hard. They pretended to be not be from Canaan, and they deceived Israel's leaders. And because they allowed themselves to be deceived by these Gibeonites, the Israelites were, in fact, shamed. You recall the concept of being shamed as a community. They were shamed. Israel was shamed as a nation, and their shame will be a constant reminder, a reminder of being careful. Since the Gibeonite people will continue to be a part of their culture, in fact, the Gibeonite people were there to help rebuild the walls back in Nehemiah, chapter 7, verse 28. Now, the shame may not have been specifically the Gibeonites. Rather, the Israelite leaders who did not verify their story with God to begin with. And I think that's the big part of the lesson they had the source to go to, but they were overconfident. They trusted the story rather than verifying the story. And that led them to have a constant reminder with them, the Gibeonite people, about the importance of asking God. Asking God. Perhaps it was unrighteous overconfidence on their, their part. Today, we have means to verify the story, especially the story of the great deceiver. We call him Satan or the devil. Is Israel's overconfidence a good reminder for Christians today? We have God's source right here given to us to defend and stand up for God's truth. So let's be a people who use it and not shame God as a congregation. Let us be a people who honor God with the truth. The second point is war. Gibeonites were cunning and planned not to fall under the judgment that was coming their way. They knew they were under a death penalty from Israel most likely, they were worshipers of Baal, or one of the Baals. However, they recognized that they were going to lose, not unlike Rahab. She recognized who God was, and she said, hey, their God is greater than our God. I kind of wonder if the Gibeonites kind of had the same thinking. Maybe the Israelites' God, because that's how they thought. These wars and these things were really the wars going on between which God is greater. And the Gibeonites go, well, if we don't try to do something, we're going to fall under the wrath of their God and die. Joshua chapter 9, verses 3 through 4. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning. They wanted to be on the winning side. Whatever that might turn into for them, they wanted to be on the winning side. I find it interesting that they knew Israel, or the God of Israel, 
uh, was the winning side. I just find that really interesting because if you go back just a few verses in chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, the other side had a pretty good group of people willing to fight Israel. I don't think they were a small group of people either. Listen to this. As soon as all the kings who were be all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. Why did they not choose all these great kings? Their numbers must have been awesome up and down that whole land, the region and the wealth they had and everything else. Must have been awesome. I think this is what convinced them to be cunning, to not side with the others, but to try to side with Israel. Joshua chapter 9, 9 through 10. They said to him, from a distant country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt. Well, that's more than 40 years ago now from their vantage point. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. They heard about the God. And whatever was going to happen to them, and this was a chance on their part, a deception with cunning to try to get into covenant, they were willing to do it to get on the right side. So their deception led them to be indentured slaves. But they were still alive, weren't they? And it seems like they eventually integrated with Israel, according to Nehemiah. So the sides were drawn. Ultimately, the sides were drawn. Will you choose the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or the God or gods of this land that these nations chose? These other nations all around Canaan land gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. And of course, who's leading the charge? God. Joshua 9.2. We live in a time now where sides are drawn as well, are we not? Will people choose to follow the true God and his son, Jesus Christ? Or will they cling to the gods of this world? Isn't that part of the Christian teaching? Where does the real fight happen? Well, Paul says where it happens in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So is it the God of heaven or the God of this earth? So the kings of the land heard of the treachery of the Gibeonites. And it was treachery on their part against those kings of Canaan. They decided to change gods. They decided to go try to go to the other side and they were successful in making that covenant. So they seek to destroy the Gibeonites. They're skipping their main enemy, Israel, and they're going to someone who offended them even more, the Gibeonites, the traitors. And Israel now comes to their defense. They come to, to their defense for two reasons. Israel made a covenant with the Gibeonites, even though the Gibeonites lied and deceived them. They still made a covenant and agreement. Second, they know God wants them to keep their covenant because that's an important thing to do. Now, here's the real meaning of the story. Which God is going to win? Which God is going to defeat the other God? And how will it be decided? War. War. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Joshua 10 verse 8. If you seek real comfort in this life, should it be in God or your armies? Should it be in God or your money? Should it be in God or your dumb luck? I think you get my point. Let's not make the same mistake the Israelites did with the Gibeonites. That constant reminder that I didn't seek God's counsel on things that matter. Let's ask God. Let's get God's direction on everything as a community of believers and individually. And God said, I have given them into your hands. Joshua 10.8. Now context matters, doesn't it? What happens if you take this passage out of a context and suddenly apply it to our personal lives? It may not be God's decision that you take the upper hand that day. But if you take that phrase out of context and just say, Ooh, man, I'm always going to win because I'm always, you know. Just because you are a follower of God through Christ does not mean all his enemies will fall into your hands today. 
Northern Israel went into Assyrian lands. Babel, uh, Judah went into Babylon hands. Faithful Jews sometimes died. Christians, faithful Christians, sometimes died for their faith for Christ. You see, knowing how God wants us to deal with his enemies is very important. Just because it's true there with Joshua at that time doesn't mean I can apply it the same way today. I have to find out how God wants us to deal as a community, as individuals, to deal with his enemies today. This same mentality should be important for Christians today. You see, God's enemies will always perish. It may not be in your time frame, but it will happen. This is another important theme found in the entirety of Scripture. God wins. Whether it is in the time of Noah, God will win. Whether it is in the time of Israel and Egypt, for all those many years when they were slaves, God will win. Whether it is the time of Israel against those in the Canaan land, God will win. Whether it is the time of Christians in Rome during the first century, it didn't look pretty, did it? But God will win. How God will win is completely up to Him. It's completely up to Him. Today, God wins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He is the ultimate victory for all people now throughout time who had faith in God. It only comes by the blood of Christ and what Christ did on the cross. If you want to know where victory is, it's right here in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how God chooses to win. It is important to choose to be on the winning side. And the winning side is Christ. Your life will have struggles, and we all know that. But how God wants us to win might look different than how he wanted Joshua to win. But God will win. You can take that home with you. Just remember that phrase. God will win. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'll close with this before the conclusion. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Just because it feels like we're having a hard time, and we are sometimes in this nation particularly, it doesn't mean it's in vain if we keep focused on the labor God has for us as a community to do. Because God wins. Just a quick sum up. In the lesson called Joshua, God wins. Wily. Will you be overconfident in yourself? Or will you seek God's counsel and direction? War. War is inevitable. At least the war with Satan. Whose side will you be on in practicality? Win. I want to be God, on God's side because I have a personal desire to win. The lesson is yours. If there's anybody here this morning who has any need for encouragement, who has any need for prayers as we battle the war against Satan, we're here as a community to help each other in that battle. Because we know in the end, God will win. Please come forward now as together we stand and sing. Have you been to Jesus?